0: And welcome everyone back to episode forty of the Road to Twenty Twenty Four podcast. We are here with another interview. This time with former Democratic Congresswoman from Florida, my home state, uh, Stephanie Murphy. A programming note: before we get into it, we will be releasing our new monthly recap this Wednesday at the turn of the month. Lots to discuss there, including multiple dropouts in the twenty twenty four race on the Republican side, a new entrance uh to the race on the democratic side and the many trials and tribulations of former president Donald Trump as he still remains the front runner in the republican primary be sure to give it a listen when we when it does release on wednesday before we get into our interview with congresswoman murphy here is some background on her uh, she was born in 1978 in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Her family fled communist controlled Vietnam in 1979 when she was only six months old. The boat ran out of fuel and they were rescued by the United States Navy at sea. And later she was settled, settled in Northern Virginia where she grew up. Murphy attended the College of William Mary, graduating with a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics. And she went on to Georgetown University where she received a Master of Science in Foreign Service degree. Uh, after the September 11th attacks, Murphy went to serve uh, at the United States Department of Defense as a national security specialist. She helped shape U.S. policy in the Asia-Pacific region by fostering cooperation in capacity building, disaster preparedness, special operations and counterterrorism. For her service, she received the Secretary of Defense Exceptional Civilian Service Award. And also in, uh, later in 2016, motivated by the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Murphy declared her candidacy for the United States House of Representatives, 7th Congressional District in Florida. Uh, and she ran against 12-term incumbent Republican John Micah uh, in the general election as she ran the primary unopposed. And in the general election on November 8th, she won with 51% of the vote, becoming the first Vietnamese American woman elected to the U.S. Congress. In Congress, Murphy was known as an effective legislator, cutting through partisan gridlock to establish an exceptional record of legislative success. Murphy was consistently named one of the most effective and bipartisan members of Congress during her three terms, lasting until the beginning of this year. She led the bipartisan effort to lift federal gun violence research ban and created the tax benefit that enabled businesses to retain and rehire workers during the pandemic. Murphy was a key player in delivering historic infrastructure and climate investments through the CHIPS Act and the Inflation Reduction Act, and she carved out a role as a leading congressional voice on trade and national security policy. In addition, she served as the co-chair of the Blue Dog Coalition, a group of House Democrats Focus on fiscal responsibility, a strong national defense, and a principled and pragmatic approach to legislating. They're the most moderate wing of the Democratic caucus. Uh, she also served as the ch- uh, chief deputy whip of the House Democratic caucus and on the House Democratic Steering and Policy Committee. In addition to her leadership roles, Murphy served on the Ways and Means Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, and the Historic Select Committee on the Investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So now getting to our interview, we discuss her take on the 2024 election. Uh, just to note, this interview was recorded last Tuesday, as we referenced the anticipated uh, candidacy of Congressman Dean Phillips that launched this past Friday. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy our interview. So we are currently on the third floor of the University of Chicago Institute of Politics building and are fortunate enough today to be joined by Pritzker Fellow and former Florida Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy. Congresswoman, how are you this morning?
1: I'm doing great. Good to be with you.
0: Appreciate you coming on. All right, so let's get right into it. Uh, This podcast is hosted by two first-time eligible voters. What is your advice for young people interested in politics and how can we get more involved?
1: I think uh, first be informed. Um, So get to know and learn about the candidates and not just focus on the national level candidates, but also look at state and local level um, campaigns because they can make as much of a difference in someone's life as the national candidates or the federal um, candidates. And then I think, you know, if you're really into it, volunteer. That's the best way to kind of understand what Issues matter in your community is when you go door to door talking to voters. So um, I, I think no matter what, just stay engaged, because the most dangerous thing to a democracy is a disengaged electorate. I really worry about that for the next generation of voters um, who are kind of turned off by politics as usual, as we're seeing it today. And, and I worry about young voters not not staying engaged.
0: Yeah, sure. All right, so let's get in straight into the 2024 presidential election. This is what our podcast is about. So for now, President Biden is the only Democrat in the field. Uh, if he's the nominee, do you think he should? How do you think he should pitch himself to voters? What do you think is the pitch for for President Biden?
1: Well, I think President Biden can uh, run on having his record and um, creating some stability as he pulled the country out of the pandemic. I do think that people don't really understand Bidenomics, and I wouldn't be um, doubling down on that message, but it appears his campaign is. And that's because people still feel like the economy is bad. They are not feeling the positive um, impacts that he wants to talk about, that the policies he passed um, should be uh, having an effect on the economy. People aren't feeling that yet. And so it feels a bit disconnected to talk about the economy in cheery tones when people are still struggling.
0: Yeah. And why do you think there's that disconnect there? What do you What do think is the result of that?
1: So I was in Congress when we passed the series of um, legislation from the infrastructure bill to uh, manufacturing uh, semiconductors to um, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, which makes significant investments into climate as well as lowering the loss of prescription drugs. The reality, though, about legislating is that you can pass a bill, the president can sign it, but the impacts on the economy are just slow because it takes time for those dollars to get out there. It's going to take time before people see their roads improved by the infrastructure bill. It's going to take time before a semiconductor plant is opened in a community and hiring people and making an impact. So, you know, he did a lot of great work. It just is going to take time before um, people see the the uh, impact. And so when he talks about it um, and people aren't feeling the impact, it feels like there's a disconnect.
0: Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we're talking about voters my age, but a lot of the they see with President Biden, a lot of the issue is his age. You know, we look on social media and you see these examples of him just stumbling and just that's what seems to catch along with people my age, like because you know, we're, we're so engaged with social media and that's where we get a lot of our news from, you know, whether, whether it's a good thing or not, I don't think it is. But uh, so how do you think, uh, you know, the Biden campaign should approach his age and his issue? Like, what, what do you tell voters that think that he's too old?
1: Well, I, from my campaign experience, um, the most potent attacks are the ones that are believable. And when the other side attacks him for being too old for the office, it is believable. Right. I mean, you say that when you go on social media, you see evidence that affirms that idea that maybe he's too old for office. And so I think, you know, the administration has to tackle that head on and and not pretend that that's not a concern that provide some assurances um, to voters that uh, that won't be an issue for him um, serving out uh, four more years. And I think that's a hard one.
0: Yeah. So speaking of you know the potential struggles from President Biden, Congressman Dean Phillips is reportedly planning to announce a 2024 run this Friday in New Hampshire. What do you make of his decision to run?
1: I served with um, Congressman Phillips and have utmost respect for him, and I think that he's been very courageous. And it shouldn't be considered an act of courage in a democracy to uh, want to have some options in the Democratic primary, but. A lot of people think that he's either been courageous and brave or, or foolish for having said the quiet part out loud, which is that a lot of the Democrats would like to have a different, different option um, as our presidential nominee. Um, and he's just the only one that's been um, willing to say it. Um, and, you know, the thing is, it's a little bit unfortunate because the Democratic Party has a really deep bench of very talented, uh, less, uh, maybe younger, Um, uh, you know, um, candidates who have good experience that could be an option, an alternative to um, a Biden nominee. But I feel like many of them are trying to preserve their career and their future um, ability to run for public office by avoiding primarying a sitting president.
0: Yeah, because it seems like Congressman Phillips was trying to get one of those to run like that was his first option. And it seems to be his last resort. Like, Do you think he himself has the uh, has what it takes to be president? Or do you think this is just more like a signal into the Democratic Party? It's time to maybe shift to another candidate. And I'm just the one to start that conversation. You
1: know, I do think he has what it is takes in the sense that he has been a legislator for a while. And, you know, we have had presidents in the past who have gone from um, being a legislator to um, the White House and being an executive. He also has business experience. And he, um, as you know, in my last seminar was a guest speaker and he brought a, a broad range of fresh new ideas about how we make our country and our democratic and capitalist system a better system, one that serves the people better. And I think it's important to have people who have new ideas, um, especially as people are losing faith in our institutions and and how our our country is run.
0: Yeah. So when you look at the Democratic Party, uh, do you think this helps or hurts the party as a whole has run? Because, I mean, a lot of The people, the party people are criticizing him just for doing it general. Is this going to cause a divide within the party, maybe between like the moderates and and the the more progressives? Because it seems like he's more of a moderate, but uh, a lot of the moderates are getting around Biden. So,
1: yeah, you know, I I think in a democracy, nobody gets a free pass to reelection. And the good thing about campaigns is that they allow an opportunity for people to debate um, their positions on issues and sharpen their arguments. It's good for um, uh, candidates to have robust primaries so that when they get to the general, they're even more prepared. They, under- they know exactly uh, what their arguments are. They've sharpened their um, positions and their, uh, their why. Why is it that yeah. they want to run?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I lo- Looking at him, I, I think him getting in the process does is going to strengthen Biden I mean that it should uh, so like that's that's why I'm personally a little confused on you know why why is this so controversial that he's getting out there uh, you know when you look at con- congressman Phillips is, is he someone that that you think you would consider getting behind or you know supporting him campaigning for him or is it you just want to kind of see the process play out from the outside
1: I do want to kind of see um, how his campaign goes but you know, I'm like, and I think the polling shows that um, even Democratic voters are open to having an alternative. Mm-hmm. And so I'm one of those voters. I'm open to having an alternative. And then if you look at polling that is of Americans broadly, like two thirds of the electorate wants to have a different option than a Trump v. Biden uh, rematch. Um, people are ready to turn the page and move forward, both in the Democratic Party as well as. Um, you know, more broadly uh, in this country. Um, I think there's just kind of this about the prospect of doing a 2020
0: again. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely feel that sentiment from from Democratic voters and and other voters of the like. Uh, But so let's look forward to the general election. It seems like, you know, whether we like it or not, it's most likely to be President Biden against former President Trump. Looking broadly at the campaign, what do you think are going to be the defining issues of the 2024 general election presidential campaign?
1: I'm still holding out hope that the Republicans nominate the um because they seem to be having a very robust primary um, process right now. And the, the former president continues to have a lot of legal issues that are building up. Um, as you may have seen this morning, Jenna Ellis is now the third person in the Georgia racketeering case to plead guilty and cooperate with the prosecutor. So, you know, from now until the general is a long time for those things to kind of manifest. Sure. But um, if it is a Trump Biden, um, it is going to be a referendum um, on both of those both of those presidencies because Um, they both have had four years and, and I guess it'll be for the voters, you know, um, whether or not they thought the four years under Trump were better than the four years under Biden.
0: So when we're looking at current events and the way they may play in the 2024 election is foreign affairs going to take a more, uh, more important role than it has in the past, considering what's, what's been going on in Ukraine and Israel.
1: Um, I would like to say that it does because I'm somebody who has a national security background and I care passionately about foreign policy. Um, but unfortunately, when it comes to when people go to the polls, very few people vote based on foreign policy. Although I will have to say that in this election, the Jewish community uh, may defy that, um, historic, uh, position because of the severity um, of the recent attacks and sort of um, the vulnerability that I think the Jewish community currently feels um, in the aftermath of the October 7th um, attacks by Hamas and sort of the response here domestically. Um, But your other average voters usually don't go to the polls and vote based on foreign policy. They vote based on their pocketbook issues.
0: Yeah. And looking at Congress right now, uh, I mean, obviously you, you served in Congress, and, and you have a pretty, you know, unique perspective of what's going on right now. Uh, and will what, what the Republicans' inability to govern, inability to choose the Speaker of the House—I think right now, as we speak, they're they're voting on trying to figure out one. Uh, so, is that going to play a role, or are people going to be fed up with that? Okay, Republicans just can't do the job at all; they can't govern.
1: I think it. The House is held by such a narrow margin, it's like five seats, four or five seats, that um, it really, this kind of dysfunction out of the Republicans will give a lot of Democratic candidates an opportunity to flip some of those seats. I mean, the world is literally burning right now. We have a, war, a ground war in Europe with uh, Russia having invaded Ukraine. We have conflict in the Middle East, and we are like three weeks away from shutting down the government. Um, And instead of focusing on those issues, the Republicans are playing a game of drums, trying to figure out who gets to wear the crown. And it just feels petty in um, comparison to the big issues that are facing Americans today, as well as uh, the crises that are happening around the world.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, And just kind of going into it, because we are on the topic of, of Congress, do you. Would you support the the Democrats kind of coming around with an agreement uh, with the Republicans to try to get some sort of governing majority? Would that make them look look good? Or do you think they should continue to stand their ground and just say, Republicans, you got to figure it out yourselves? Well, it's
1: interesting because um, Democrats, uh, Hakeem Jeffries has repeatedly gotten the most votes um, Mm -hmm. in this last cycle of uh, efforts to um, find a speaker. He um, gets well over 200 votes. And so Democrats are united. I think in order for a Democrat to step across the line in that way, there has to be um, more pressure. It has to get closer to some sort of deadline. There has to be a bit more desperation, I think, um, for them to do that. Because can you imagine any Republican ever standing up and bailing out Nancy Pelosi if she had struggled to get the speaker's vote? Like. And when you do the speaker's vote, it's not just like casting your vote, using your card um, on the floor like another vote. What you do is you sit on the floor and when your name is called, you have to stand up and say someone's name. And that image of a Democrat saying a Republican's name or a Republican saying a Democrat's name can be a very potent, um, uh, you know, campaign ad in a primary. And so yeah. if the political upside isn't quite there, um, it's going to have to be sort of some policy imperative uh, for that to happen.
0: Yeah. So last question here before we wrap up, kind of just on the, the general 2024 election. Uh, you know, we mentioned what's at stake in 2024, but if it is a Biden and Trump rematch again, who do you see coming out on top, maybe right now? And, and why do you see that?
1: Well, I think right now uh, national polls don't mean anything. It really comes down to a handful of swing states and where um, each candidate is um, is standing within in those states. And in campaign um, time, twelve months is a lifetime. And there's so much that can happen between now and then that would make uh, a significant impact. And I think co- currently polling shows them neck and neck in. In all of those swing states. And I think that should be a little concerning for Democrats, because can you imagine we have a three time indicted, four time indicted former president who is doing just about as well as the Democratic potential nominee. Right. That that's uh, that's
0: really troubling. Yeah. All right. So. So we got uh thank you for coming on. We greatly appreciate it uh, if you are a University of Chicago student, Congressman Murphy has seminars every Monday at three thirty Yep. so uh be sure to check those out if you're interested and yeah, appreciate it,
1: thanks so much for having me on,
0: of course.